the scripture text again from 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 20. He, that is the Lord Jesus, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Here in speaking of the Lord Jesus, the one whose precious blood paid the penalty for our sins and redeemed our souls from eternal punishment, we're told that he was foreknown, foreknown. That before anything was created that was created, before the foundations of the world were laid, and even before time itself began, Jesus Christ existed and he was foreknown. And then we're told that when the time was full, when all things had been set into exact order and in providence by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, then God the Son, the Lord Jesus, was then born in the flesh as the Son of Man. And He was revealed, made manifest to us as the Christ, the one who was able to die and pay the penalty for our sins. We read those words in Galatians 4. Beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, you and me, that we might receive the adoption as sons. These are truly mysterious words that few people understand well, and I am first among those who lack understanding. But I do want very much to know all that these words mean. And I do truly want to know Jesus Christ personally and intimately, to truly comprehend His nature. One of my favorite passages in the Scriptures is in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so then somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, that mysterious, eternally existent Son of God, the one who was with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, before the beginning, and who with the breath of His own mouth simply spoke into existence all things. We're told in the book of Hebrews that He created out of nothing everything that was created, whether they be the earth, the stars, angels, people, everything that has been created. He created. And He is now through these words and through the unction of the Holy Spirit being made known to you and me, being manifested to you and me. So that as we learn in Romans chapter 1, we are without excuse. Let me read these words from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus Christ. And then verse 14 of John 1. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is so very important for you and me to understand. It was Jesus... The same one who came 2,000 years ago to bring salvation to you and me, who was also that very one in the beginning creating everything that was created. 
That's hard for most people to believe. They cannot get their mind to understand that this man who came to visit us in time was actually also that one back there who created everything. And as these scriptures are telling us today, he is now being made known, being made manifest to each of us by God's Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. How does he do that? He speaks to our spirit, his spirit speaking to our spirit moment by moment saying, see his presence, see his testimony, the testimony of his goodness and of his grace and of his mercy. Do you see the testimony of the presence of Christ all around you in your life? He is there and the Holy Spirit wants to make him manifest to you, give you the ability to see him, to see his goodness and his grace and his mercy, to see his hand at work in all that's taking place on the earth, but specifically in your circumstance. That's what the words of this passage that we're studying today tell us, that he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was and is now being made manifest in these last times, right now, for the sake of you and me, who through him, through Christ, are believers in God. Again, all of this is so very mysterious, and it's completely incomprehensible to our natural mind. But thanks be to God, His Holy Spirit is living in all of us who have Him as Savior and Lord and is ministering, giving our minds the ability to understand who Christ is, making Him known to us. As this passage tells us, the first part of this mystery has to do with who Jesus was in the beginning. And then about all that He has done and will do as Savior and Lord. And he uses this word foreknown. The first question that you and I ought to ask ourselves is what does the word foreknown really mean? What does it mean, foreknown? To know before. Now at first, the word seems simple to understand. But because the definition of it has been left within the hands of men for all of these centuries, we find that it is not so easily defined nowadays. This word is instead steeped in misunderstanding and disagreement and controversy, especially within the minds of otherwise very earnest and very devout believers in Christ. Some folks primarily over in our in Arminian Brotherhood, Methodists, some Baptists and others, they choose a more direct, sometimes more passive definition of the word simply that God is omniscient. He was and is able to know all things ahead of time, and then with that foreknowledge, makes His decisions about us, based on that knowledge. Decisions such as, by knowing who among us will in our lifetime choose Christ as our Savior and Lord, that God looked ahead and saw that Bill Adams was going to receive Him as Savior and Lord, He then predestines and foreordains my salvation. And that sounds like a reasonable definition and a reasonable conclusion. But then there are others, and especially our Presbyterian brethren, they hold to the firm belief that God is far more involved within man's decision-making than simply and passively being in possession of foreknowledge knowledge about the events and the choices that will take place in our daily life. He does not simply allow 
events to take place and then make his decisions based on having allowed us to take the steps that we take, but that he instead inserts his hand into all the many affairs of men, some or all, and then often guides and directs many of those choices, even their thoughts and their behaviors and the paths that they take. Many, by the way, of the Scriptures support both of those. And that is why we have the Arminian doctrine and why we have the Calvinist doctrine, because there are supporting evidences within these Scriptures for both of those concepts. Because, yes, God does see ahead of today, and He sees and allows the choices that we will make. And then based on those choices, He does make some of His own decisions. Some for our pleasant blessing, but other decisions that are not so pleasant for us. At the heart of the debate about the meaning of this word foreknowledge is a question about when God gets involved within the hearts and in the affairs of men. Did He involve Himself before even the worlds were created? Or does He wait to see how we will behave and then get involved? Or does He do both? And again... The even deeper controversy about this word foreknowledge is the extent to which God actually involves Himself. Does the word imply only an intellectual foreknowledge, the simple ability to see into the future, or does it imply a much more planned, hands-on, caring, loving involvement that actually orchestrates many of our circumstances? And that's where the Calvinists split away from their Arminian brethren. The Calvinist doctrine teaches that the word foreknow and foreknowledge has a deep sense of love that fills every possibility of the meaning. In other words, even before the foundations of the world were laid, and even before man would ever exist and could ever sin, God loved us so much that He was even then deciding to send His only begotten Son into the world to shed His blood to redeem us. That that very word foreknew has the meaning of love at its core. To know someone, the word know has at its foundation the word and meaning of love. And we see that implied often in, in the passages here, such as where a man would know his wife, such as with Adam and Eve, and she bore him a son. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. That the word know itself has within its meaning to also love very deeply. And that meaning of intimate, adoring love is all through these scriptures. So then, the question left for our minds is this. Is God simply looking ahead and allowing, passively perhaps allowing each person to behave the way that they choose? and then responding to each of us with his provision or else with his discipline. Is that what he does? Or is his foreknowledge filled with plans and purposes for us? Plans in which he reaches his loving hand into the circumstances of our lives and foreordains and actually orchestrates some, perhaps many, of the things that take place each day. Are the circumstances of your daily life simply happening and then you responding within each of those circumstances? Or were those circumstances actually orchestrated 
by the hand of God. That's the controversy in the meaning of this word. Now may I quickly remind us that it really does not matter what we want to believe is taking place in those circumstances. It really doesn't. God's sovereignty is actually independent of our opinions of Him. What we want to believe that He's doing. His sovereignty supersedes our thoughts and our desires. He is God. He is almighty. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is God over all the earth and all that exists. And He is good. And He does good. And He is worthy of being able to make any and all decisions and choices that He might make. And every outcome will always be good. He is worthy of being God. But still... Even knowing all of this, there's always those who will contend, and probably always will be, contend with the real meaning of this word. Because their own personal opinion is so very important to them. Your personal opinion is so very important to you. How often do you find yourself saying, well, I believe, and then go ahead and say it. How often have you heard that? Even in an in-depth Bible study, you'll have members of that study saying words like, well, I believe it really does not matter what they believe or you believe. Yes, you should want to believe the right thing, but what you should believe is what is actually said in here. And that's most often very different than what we want to believe. One of the things that I notice in one of the Bible studies that I I attend, it has in the majority the number of members that are involved in that, they strongly hold to the free will nature of men. And they are quick to argue and point out that if God has these moments already planned out, then where is free will? And I agree with them. I agree with them. Free will, as I've said often from this pulpit, is as valid a doctrine as foreordination or the foreordained foreknowledge of God. So I personally agree with both of those doctrines. I agree very strongly. In some mysterious way, God has made a provision for both our free will and His foreordination or His orchestration of of the matters that take place on this earth. And neither one of them is ever to the exclusion of the other. And that's why I preach both of them from this pulpit. Our verse again for the day, He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but He was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now perhaps I might have lost some of you as I was going through the meaning of this a moment ago. So I want to say it again. And I'd like for us to reason together on this, but only as far as the Holy Spirit would give us reason. These words speak specifically about the Lord Jesus Himself being foreknown before the foundations of the world. And then about Him being made manifest, being revealed to us now in these last days. And may I say that it's obvious that God is not saying to us that God the Father simply knew about Jesus. That He knew about Jesus planning to become a baby in a manger. And then he would grow and he would preach and teach for a while and then be crucified to bring redemption to unsaved souls. It was not that God simply knew about that. That is obvious. 
he didn't just know about Jesus. Jesus was also part of the very essence of who God the Father is. He was God the Son, and He was actually there with the Father. Jesus said on one occasion, I and the Father are one. He was there, one with the Father in the beginning, before the foundations of the world were laid. And God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were making decisions, making plans. A.W. Tozer pondered that question in one of his books one time. He said, was God doing anything before time ever began, before people? And he answered that question. He said, yes. Yes, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were always busily at work making plans. Plans that they would foreordain to take place. And we know that that's true because of the number of times that it's mentioned in the Scriptures. One of them, my favorites in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He, listen, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit engaging in a conversation, saying these things. He predestined us, a word that some churchgoers don't like to hear. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, that's the Lord Jesus, in Him we have redemption through His blood. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit talking about what's taking place today, only they were talking about it before the foundations of the world were laid, before there was time, before there was people, before there was earth. Now, in my graphic form of thinking, I do imagine all these things. As I was saying there a moment ago, I imagine God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit there in their eternal existence. Again, before there was any of the distractions that are taking place today, where there's an earth and a sun and a moon and the stars and people and all of the traffic of thoughts and ideas that are certainly sometimes pleasing, but most of the time not so pleasing to God. But them, there in their private existence, having a conversation, and them saying, we are love. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit saying, we are love. Let us create an existence to receive and to be blessed by our love. And then let us create an earth and the heavens, and let us create man to live there and let us make all sorts of plans and provisions for him but let us also give him free will and with that free will let us give him a freedom to love us as he should but also let us give him the freedom to reject us because that is what real love requires it requires a freedom and a free will And for all of those who would desire to love us, let us create a covenant with them, a covenant of grace. And let's give them real help. Help for them to love us in return. And then help for them to also love other people, even as we love those other people. And then when they sin, let us provide redemption through the sacrifice of God the Son. 
And then let us provide continual help from the Holy Spirit to guide them each day towards salvation and into all truth. Now, all that's my imagination. That's my imagination. But let me tell you, all of what I just got through saying are carefully and fully revealed and proven out in these scriptures. So I believe that I can feel comfortable thinking and imagining those thoughts. One of the verses that I quote to you often is Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll come to me and call upon me and pray to me. And I'll listen to you when you seek me and find me with all your heart. These words again in our passage. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world but was made manifest in the last days for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Listen, Jesus truly was foreknown before the foundations of the world. Not because God could just see ahead and see what He was going to do, but because Jesus was actually there as part of the three-in-one, the Trinity, taking full part in all of the decisions that were being made. Folks, listen, Jesus was the love that God the Father experienced and foreordained for our salvation. Jesus was the love that God so loved with that He sent Jesus to be born, to die, and to be resurrected so that you and I could have life. That's what God foreknew. That is what it means that Jesus was foreknown. And praise be to God for His indescribable free gift. One last consideration before we close. As God does so often in His covenants and even with this covenant of grace, there are still some things that are required of you and me. In this covenant of grace, you and I are required to believe in Him and to receive Him as our Savior and Lord. Both of those. Not only to believe in Him, but to also receive Him. John 1, verse 12. To all who received Him, To those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You and I must not only know Him and believe in Him, we must also personally receive Him as Savior and Lord. That is the free will part of this blessed covenant of grace that God offers to each of us. And so I ask you, Have you done that? Do you know Him? Do you believe in Him? And have you actually personally received Him into your soul? Because that is what salvation requires. Those words again from Philippians 3 as I close. I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Christ? I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray.